Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be, and welcome to 2 Minutes 59, Lake County, Illinois' favorite Clash-inspired uh, podcast. I'm your host, David Von Ebers, coming to you from just shy of the Wisconsin border in far northern Illinois. And as I'm sitting here recording this, it is a beautiful Friday afternoon uh, in the Midwest. We've got temperatures just a little bit below 80 degrees Fahrenheit. It's sunny. It's clear. It's beautiful outside. I'm supposed to be working. I am working, um, but I'm taking a break from work to record this show. Uh, And I can tell you that I would much rather be outside. Uh, much rather be uh, hanging out and doing nothing than sitting at my desk with the windows closed um, and the door shut to keep the cats out and so forth. Uh, but it is just spectacular out. We've been very lucky so far at the beginning of the summer up here in northern Illinois. Um, and hopefully, hopefully I'm not jinxing everything by saying that. Um, but in any event, in any event, that's that's where we're at. Our one little housekeeping matter, and I, I promise you, I won't talk any more about Bruce Springsteen and our trip to Ireland, which I've mentioned in the past few episodes. Um, but I did want to point out that, as I mentioned on the last episode, my wife and I appeared on a podcast called Set Lusting Bruce, which is hosted by a guy named Jesse Jackson out of Dallas or the Dallas area. Jesse is not the preacher you might be familiar with, but he is an excellent um, Bruce Springsteen podcaster and a really lovely all-around guy. And he hosted Jennifer and I to talk about a number of issues, but but including... Um, including the the Springsteen concert we saw in Ireland. And that episode is now up. It's uh, You can find that on um, uh, Apple Podcasts and other platforms, and I'll include a link in the show notes. But please give that a listen. We had a wonderful time talking to Jesse. He's a great guy. Some of it was a little serious. Um, most of it was sort of lighthearted fun, talking about the concert and our trip. So please check that out. Um, and as I've mentioned in the past, my wife and I also have our own podcast, which is called In the Shadow of the Evening Trees. Again, you can listen to that on Apple Podcasts and other platforms, or you can listen to it on our website called In the Shadow of the Evening Trees.com. Um, we posted a new episode last night uh, of that um, episode, uh, of that podcast, I mean. So please feel free to give that a listen as well. Uh, on this show, we're on episode 19. It's still kind of a fledgling show. We're still working on getting it on the various platforms. But um, by the way, I hate it when I do that. I just said we in multiple cases, in multiple situations. I hate the royal we. I'm really the brains behind the whole thing. So I don't mean we. Uh, but anyway, anyway, that's a little housekeeping, a little update of what's going on with other projects. Um, and... Um, <laughs> I have to say that I had no intention of talking about American politics today. I certainly had no intention of talking about a former U.S. president today. And I had no intention of retreading or, or, or you know, recovering, if that makes, a, it makes sense, issues that we've talked about before and matters that we've talked about before or that I've talked about before. But I'm going to do that anyway. I'm going to break my own rule. Um, and that is because... Uh, you know, the elephant in the room in America t- in, in uh, the last, or rather the, the first full week of June, I guess, of, of uh, 2023, the elephant in the room is that the former president has once again been 
indicted, this time by a grand jury in Florida. Um, initial reports, I think, that came out yesterday said that there, it was a seven-count indictment. I read today, it turns out that it is a 37-count indictment involving um, mishandling of confidential documents, or shall we say, as the journalists do, alleged mishandling of confidential documents. You may be aware that there have been quite a few news reports that come out, that have come out, rather, and, um, you know, some of it has some pretty incriminating information about things the president said and did, the former president. Uh, I'm not going to go into all those details, um, and we'll get to maybe some of the substance of it in a minute, or maybe not so much the substance of it, but, you know, where things stand in a minute. However, however, you know, I, 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 and again, I know we talked about this before when he was indicted in, in New York on state charges, um, and there's a possibility that he could be indicted in Georgia as well. But uh, I know we talked about this before, but I, and it's not, obviously, it's not directly related to the clash, but I keep, I keep coming back to that lyric from the song Clampdown, and again, this is this will sound um, familiar if you heard the previous episode when I talked about this. But where um, where Joe Strummer says, uh, and he's, he more or less speaks the words rather than sings them, he says, "In these days of evil presidentes, lately one or two have fully paid their due." And the reason why that uh, lyric comes back to me and makes me think about that song and that and that statement is in context. Um, in context, what uh, Joe is talking about in that song is, you know, for example, uh, Samosa being uh, deposed in Nicaragua, um, the Shah of Iran, maybe. I mean, I don't know if he's specifically referring to this, but the fact is the Shah of Iran got booted by a popular revolution. Now, we know that things didn't turn out great in Iran after the revolution. Nonetheless, it was a popular uprising to get rid of a dictator. And at the time they're writing a song like Clampdown, I suppose we wouldn't really have known where it would lead and where it would go. But anyway, so these kinds of things were happening. Why is that relevant to the conversation about Trump? Well, a lot of the president's detra- uh, I'm sorry, a lot of the president's supporters, um, including a number of high-profile Republican politicians, and as an aside, why they wouldn't just steer clear of this whole issue and, and not inject themselves in it is beyond me. You know, when when Democrats get arrested for matters involving political corruption, other Democrats act like they don't know the guy's name. Like, they're like, it's like the, uh, the Mariah Carey meme, I don't know her. That's how Democrats react when Democrats get arrested. They look the other way, they act like they never heard of the guy. Uh, the person, but but Republicans, for whatever reason, can't seem to help themselves but to jump in and defend Trump. And the thing that you keep seeing, Ted Cruz said this. I want to say Mario, uh, um, uh, Mark. I'm sorry, Marco Rubio uh, said this, um, and a number of other Republican politicians and conservative comment, commentators have said, "Oh, you know, we're like a banana republic now. We're like we're like we're weaponizing." law enforcement and the Department of Justice and the FBI to go after the president's political enemies and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and first of all, let's talk about banana Republican, how how racist that term is, right? I mean, yeah, we're you know, when when you make when you when you make a negative comment uh, about a country 
based on like you know some of the characteristics of the country or assumed characteristics of the country uh, that's not necessarily the right thing to do anyway whatever but they keep saying oh it's a banana republic it's a banana republic and I want to say no 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 what Joe Strummer was talking about was countries where you did not have a, a, a functioning a country you didn't have a functioning criminal justice system you didn't have a functioning judicial system at all that would hold politicians accountable the line in a clampdown where he says in these days of evil president days lately one or two have fully paid their due he's talking about the situation where the only way the only way to hold a politician accountable or to hold leaders accountable was basically through revolution like overthrowing them that was it because the courts weren't going to hold them responsible prosecutors weren't going to hold them responsible all of the kinds of ways in which a functioning democracy or a functioning country holds people accountable for their actions none of those things were there in you know Nicaragua in the late 70s or in other countries with with dictatorships and, and where there there were these popular uprisings that got rid of dictators. That's what Joe Strummer is talking about. We're talking about the exact opposite in our country. We're not talking about uh, a quote-unquote banana republic. We're not talking about uh, you know going after political enemies. I know people people want to think that's the case. I know people want to characterize it that way. But the reality is, you know. What we've got in the United States is a functioning judicial judicial system. Not perfect. A lot of people get railroaded in the system, and we can talk about that too. I'm more than happy to talk about that. But we're talking about a situation where you've got uh, you know all of these constitutional rights in place that protect someone in Trump's position. Right? He was indicted by a grand jury. That's something that the federal uh, Constitution requires before you can go after someone criminally in on the federal level you have to convene a grand jury and have a grand jury return an indictment that's what's happened so far then he will get all of the other rights any criminal defendant would get he'll have the you know the right to be tried by a jury of his peers he'll have the right not to have to testify and incriminate it against himself if he doesn't want to testify he'll have the right to counsel he'll have the right to be you know to the the state will have to prove the charges beyond a reasonable doubt which means even if he's guilty they he could still get off because the state might not meet that very high burden of proof he has the right to a unanimous jury verdict. He has all of these rights that he's guaranteed, you know, under the Constitution. And he will get them. Trust me on this. You know, he will get them. Um, what, you know, what the line from the clampdown is talking about is, you know, it's talking about dictatorships where none of those things existed. You know, you didn't have the basic fundamental rights that Trump will be given. And, and by the way, he will not only be given those rights, the court will jealously guard and protect those rights at every turn. You know, this reminds me, I'm, I, always, I always see connections to things that I've heard in the past, right? Um, it's a weird way my, my brain functions, but it reminds me of some stand-up comedian turned um, political commentator and 
ironically or perhaps appropriately, I, I honestly don't recall whether it was Bill Maher or Dennis Miller. They're sort of indistinguishable these days, but in any event, one or the other of them, or perhaps both of them, you know, went off uh, against uh, on a rant against lawyers after the O.J. Simpson trial. And, you know, a lot of it was overblown and a lot of it was kind of ridiculous. But um, one of the things they said, that there was certainly an element of truth in this, in this rant because, you know, one point they were making was that O.J. Simpson, because he was wealthy and popular and influential, he had all of these, um, you know, he had this team of lawyers providing the best conceivable defense. The jury, you know, took their responsibilities as, as seriously as any jury ever. He got all the benefits, not just of the Constitution, but of being a rich and powerful and influential person with those constitutional rights. And whoever it was, again, whether it was Dennis Leary or Bill Maher, I don't recall, pointed out, not incorrectly, you know, that poor people and people without power and people without connections and people without money get basically railroaded through the criminal justice system all the time without any of the kind of benefits that someone like O.J. had or that someone like, you know, like Trump now will have, right? Um, and, you know, he's pointing out that inequality that exists between you know, in the criminal justice system between people who have money and power and fame and so forth and people who don't. And, you know, for what it's worth, that's a legitimate point. Most poor folks don't necessarily get the benefit of it. Now, I have to say, uh, you know, there are plenty of plenty of very, very, very good public defenders in, in every state in the country working very hard for their clients. There are plenty of good criminal defense lawyers in the private sector who represent indigent defendants and do great work. So I'm not saying this to run down the legal system, but the point, the point that this comedian made about the difference between the rights that the ordinary person gets and the rights that uh, the wealthy and influential people uh, get, um, you know, is pretty stark. And, and it's not to say that the poor folks don't actually have those rights, but the way the court system protects those rights and the way the other actors in the court system, the judge and the jury and the prosecutor and so forth, the way they view those rights and treat the person's rights is, you know, is noticeably different <clears throat> than the way a rich and powerful person uh, gets to, to um, have their rights respected. That's massive, passive voice there. Massive, it's passive voice, whatever. Not the most articulate way to say that. But so, I, I mean, it is true, and the contrast is stark. But now if you look at this case, again, going back to this whole, oh, it's a banana republic and, and so on and so forth. Um, no, this guy is going to, he's going to be, you know, on the OJ side of things, not on the poor and indigent criminal defendant side of things. He's going to be the guy who gets to put on any conceivable defense you can imagine without it being questioned. He's going to be the guy who, who will get, you know, the, the court system and everyone up and down the court system will respect his rights to a much greater degree than they would ever respect the rights of a, of a private individual without the clout, without the money, without the notoriety and influence and so forth. So you really don't have to shed too many tears about the way 
the criminal justice process will treat him. Now, you know, again, you're never going to convince his supporters of this because they're going to yell and scream and yell and scream that it's all, you know, you know, it's a politically biased uh, prosecution. It's a witch hunt. It's this and that. It's going to be very difficult to persuade the public that this is some kind of witch hunt when, you know, if the evidence really is bears out what we think it's going to bear out or what appears to, to be the case based on the news reports and so forth, that he actually, that he, he completely understood that he was showing people uh, documents that were classified and that he didn't have the power to declassify them and so on and so forth. It's, it doesn't look good for him um, on that level. But I will say, I will say, I think that he is, he is not only entitled to, but should get all of the benefits and protections of our Constitution, right? The presumption of innocence, the the you know the right not to incriminate against not to incriminate himself, uh, the right to counsel, the right to jury of his peers, the right to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, the right to a unanimous verdict, all those kinds of things that every criminal defendant is entitled to. It's exceptionally important to protect those rights now because not only are they, are they important rights for everyone, but you have to show the world that we're doing this according to the rule book, that, that there's no, you know, manipulation of the rules in order to just get the guy. Um, his supporters will never buy it, but we need to show the world that we're holding ourselves accountable. As far as the bias argument goes, oh, you know, this is a biased prosecution. Look, you know, in the United States, we have a long history of Republican prosecutors going after Democratic politicians and vice versa. And the reason for that is because, sadly, we have a long history of political corruption in our country. And when you find out that a Democratic, let's say a Democratic state governor has broken the law and you happen to have a Republican appointed U.S. attorney in the U.S. attorney's office, you don't say, well, you know, let's not bring those charges now. Let's wait till there's a Democratic appointee in that position. You know, you prosecutors bring the charges that, that are in front of them. And so it's perfectly normal to have a prosecutor from one party bringing charges against a politician from another party. And, you know, you can argue all you want that there's some bias there, and maybe on some subje subjective level there is. But in the end of the day, the question is not so much the prosecutor's Bias, but did the person commit the crime? I mean, you know, if you get pulled over speeding and you say to the, uh, the cop, well, why didn't you stop all these other people, um, you know, who are also speeding? You know, the cop, he doesn't have to give you or she doesn't have to give you an explanation. Maybe they didn't like your car. Maybe you're driving a red sports car and they said, we're going to pull that person over and not the person next to him driving the same speed. You know, you can't go to the judge and say, I was breaking the law, but let me off because the cop singled me out because of my car or whatever it is, right? So the bias argument, you know, it only goes so far. I mean, clearly you can't have political persecutions where Republicans go out of their way to target Democrats or Democrats go out of their way to target Republicans. But it's not a simple thing of saying, well, he's a Democrat, he can't prosecute a Republican because there may be some theoretical bias there. Anyway, that was a way, way, that was a crazy uh, uh, distraction from what we normally talk about on the show. 
Um, and uh, but I, you know, I, I I feel like it's the elephant in the room, and I can't really uh, avoid talking about it after being a lawyer for going on thirty six years. So um, I do want to talk about a couple things that are more music related, but I'll t- I'll take another uh, weird twist that you may not uh, weird twist or turn that you may not anticipate, and that is that. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the Marvel uh, Spider-Man uh, Spider-Verse for a moment. I'm sure you're thinking, what? What does that have to do with The Clash? Well, it really doesn't have anything to do with The Clash. But, you know, I'm not um, as up-to-date as on all this stuff as I was back when I, like, literally read the comic strip in the daily newspaper when I was in high school and, and so forth. But I've always been kind of fascinated by... Um, the Spider-Man universe because um, there's a certain kind of humor involved in in the certainly in the comic books and in the comic strip in the old days that that sort of appealed to me even though I'm not a super knowledgeable comic book or graphic novel person but I saw this week on uh, another social media platform as we like to say some discussion around the character who's in the the new movie, the new Spider-Verse movie, um, Spider-Punk. Well, now, you you know, when I hear someone's name is Spider-Punk, of course, my ears perk up. I have to find out what that's all about. So I looked into it. Uh, I looked into it uh, a little bit more. What I saw, and and I'll link to this in in the notes, what I saw was this comment on social media about how the spider punk character is a punk rocker, uh, but he's black. Okay, and so the person was commenting um, about the fact that you know there's a punk rock like like almost all forms of popular music actually has you know pretty strong um, black roots. There were a lot of black uh, punk bands in the early days, or or black fronted punk bands in the early days, and it became you know kind of gotten got took over by white folks and whatever, but there are these punk roots. Now, why do I mention that? Because it so happens that uh, while we are in the midst of Pride Month, and I'm certainly going to talk about that on some later episodes this month, um, we are also in what is called Black Music History Month, which is pretty cool when you consider that virtually all pop music and certainly all American pop music has pretty heavy, deep roots in black music. As the great Muddy Waters once said, the blues had the had a baby and they named it rock and roll. And that's true of punk rock too. So what I found interesting about the character, so the character in the books is an American. Uh, he's a black kid. He's a punk rocker. He plays guitar. He uses his guitar as a as a weapon in in, in some of the episode, some of the stories. But he's a black kid from America. The actor who, who who voices the character is a black British guy. And I wonder if that's because in America we often think of punk as being something that began in the UK. In fact, it really began in the US. But it's still fascinating to me that they made an homage to that the Spider-Man folks have an homage to the black roots of punk rock. I think that's very cool. And, and this is what I'll link to in the notes, someone had put together a Spotify list. I'm going to pull this up on my computer if I can while I'm chatting, if I can find my cursor. Uh, it's called Black Fronted Bands Matter. 
It's, this has 251 songs, and it's about 11 hours long, this playlist, but I'll link to it. Um, I think it was put together back in 2020, but there's some very cool stuff here. Of course, it, it includes Bad Brains, you know, the DC band that, that um, um, uh, with, uh, um, the Foo Fighters featured in, I want to say it was the second episode of the Sonic Highways documentary when they were talking about the DC music scene. They, they talk a little bit about um, Bad Brains. Uh, um, I would also point out lesser known but very um, important black band called Death, the band called Death from Detroit. Um, came out in the early 70s before anybody used the term punk, but they certainly were influential. So I'll link to this um, Spotify playlist, and I would highly recommend giving that a listen. Now, the only thing I'm going to talk about today that's really Clash-related, <laughs> instead of, <clears throat> pardon me, tangentially Clash-related, is, um, and I had mentioned this before, um, Paul Simonon and Galen Ayers put out a record that's now out in, in public. It's available. Uh, they go by the name of Galen and Paul. Uh, the album is called Can We Do Tomorrow Another Day? It's, uh, it's got uh, 10 tracks on it. A couple of them are in, uh, actually I think three or four of them are in Spanish. The rest are in English. Really, really good album. I've been listening to it um, the last couple of days uh, well, my, my wife and I do a morning walk in the neighborhood, and um, it, the album, the running time is around 40 minutes, 41 minutes, 42 minutes, a good amount of time to get a nice walk in in the morning. I like it a lot. Um, I, I don't have a huge amount of time left to go into it, but I, I would describe the album as a very European album. Um, they talk a lot about um, European themes, um, just as an aside, just as an example, uh, the opening track is called "Lonely Town." This this song has been out for a while, and uh, you know it's kind of about a about you know a vacation town after all the tourists leave a vacation town in Spain after all the after all the tourists leave, um, and you know uh, it's got some it's it, that's a great song. Um, there's a song called It's Another Night, which is very much a song about reminiscing about jumping on the bus and going to the clubs and the bars and so forth in, in London on a Saturday night. Um, there's a, a great song, a great song. Um, I got a, I, it's called I've Never Had a Good Time in Paris. And I, I, I can't think of another example in my life where somebody wrote a song that basically just speaking critically of a particular city. Now, I will say I don't think that they mean it in a negative way and they're not really attacking the city, but uh, they're talking about their the challenges of, you know, being a non-French person visiting France and some of it's good and some of it's bad. But one of my favorite lines that I, I really like is that... Um, uh, they say something about how when you speak French, they don't understand, or they, they pretend not to understand. And um, Galen sings, that's not French, that's Parisian, which I thought was very clever. Um, another, another great song, and this kind of goes back to the... Um, so this project came to be um, during COVID, 
when um, Paul was uh, vacationing, not vacationing, but staying in, in Spain, and um, uh, Galen Ayers, um, and he knew each other, and they communicated a lot over, I don't know, Zoom or over FaceTime or whatever, and they, they got this idea of putting this record together. They had a lot of downtime, needless, needless to say, during COVID. Bands weren't touring and so forth. And uh, 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 Paul wanted to get out of London and out of the UK, so if, because if he's going to be stuck somewhere, he wanted to be stuck where there was better weather. Uh, a lot of the songs on this record kind of reflect this sense of loneliness and alienation that people uh, people suffered during that time. You know, even in the even in the opening track, "Lonely Town," they they talk about you know when everybody leaves and goes back home, and then you know that the, the tourist town is kind of a kind of a ghost town there's a song called lighthouse waltz which is kind of written from the perspective of a guy who's a lighthouse keeper and talking about how you know he's kind of all alone in his lighthouse um which is really interesting but a lot of it is um a lot of it is a reflection on some of that loneliness and alienation that people felt during the pandemic, but it's not like it's not like a depressing, sad album. It's it's really a good album. There is, by the way, and I did not get a chance to read it before recording this show, but there is an article in Spin where where uh, about Galen and and uh, Paul and about the record, and I believe they interview them. Um, you definitely should check that out. I'm going to check that out. I may have some thoughts before I record the next show. Um, a Room at the Top is an interesting a song. He, he, one of the lyrics is about how, you know, he's got a place that he can go where he doesn't feel anything. Again, kind of that sense of alienation. But again, it's not a sad album. There's a lot of humor in the album. Um, it is, it's got, you know, it, it takes from different kind of um, European folk traditions, but it's very, very listenable. It's not like some kind of obscure thing that you'd listen to on NPR and not really get into. <laughs> it's good, very listenable, enjoyable music. Um, I also note, uh, and this is true, the last song is called A Sea Shanty, and it is kind of like a sea shanty. However, there's a very distinct um, kind of reggae beat in the background. And I noticed that, not, not like a real fast-paced reggae beat, but it's there. And I noticed that in multiple songs. And to me, that's kind of heartwarming because it harkens back to Paul's, uh, you know, Paul bringing that kind of reggae feel to The Clash. Anyway, I, thought it was, I think it's a really good album. It's one that I definitely want to listen to more. It's the kind of album that you really want to actually sit down and listen to as opposed to just having it on in the background. But anyway, it's uh, Galen and Paul, Can We Do Tomorrow Another Day? Uh, I love that title, by the way. Um, and and I, I think it's really good. I recommend it. So that's all we have for this week. Um, I will certainly be back next week, um, hopefully talking more about The Clash and less about uh, politics. But I had things to get off my chest this week. So feel free to leave a, a, comment, a note in the comment section below. Um, and hopefully you'll check back next week. Have a great week, and we'll see you then.